Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I really hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And here's what we're going to do. This is like super ambitious, but Carl Vaders and I are going to settle the eternal question, which is better? Big churches or small churches? And uh, I, I met Carl a couple of years ago, I guess. We both write blogs. He writes uh, newsmallchurch.com. Many of you will be familiar with that. And I write just at my name, kerrynewhoff.com. And I often talk about larger churches. He is dedicated to talking about smaller churches. And we got into a discussion online. It was It was super healthy, actually. But some of the people who have left comments on his blog and my blog take positions about that. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be amazing just to have Carl on the podcast and we would just talk about it? And I think you'll agree this is a fascinating conversation. I hope a helpful conversation and in some ways a healing conversation for a lot of us in the church because, you know, debate and discussion can sometimes get pretty polarized. So it was a lot of fun sitting down with Carl. And even though we're separated by, oh, a long distance, he's in Southern California, I'm north of Toronto in Canada. I feel like Carl's one of those guys that if we actually met, we would just like be friends. So anyway, I hope this is a great episode for you. I hope this will be helpful for you and the leadership team that you serve with. And Carl's just incredibly transparent. You're going to love, 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 I think, this uh, interview. And uh, it's a little bit longer. Like, like I've said in previous episodes, I'm experimenting with slightly longer podcasts. You might have to divide this one into or something like that, drive to work, drive home, or a couple of days or whatever. But the vision for this is is just to have great conversations that sometimes you have and it's just like, well... I wish everybody could have heard that. And I think conversations have a natural length. And when you get into a really good discussion, sometimes it takes like pushing an hour. So anyway, that's where we land on this one. But I think you're going to find it really helpful. We got some exciting episodes coming up too, as uh, we push past the 30 mark. And, and just a word to say thank you to everybody who has given such incredible feedback. I've been on the road a lot over the last few months in places like Nebraska and Portland, Oregon, and Dallas, Texas, and most recently in Moncton, New Brunswick, uh, speaking to church leaders in Eastern Canada. And so many of you have given so much encouraging feedback about like particular episodes that, uh, for example, Josh Gagnon, episode 17, man, the episode about leading a church in New England and how do you grow a church where churches don't grow really resonated in places where it's hard to grow a church like the East Coast of Canada. And so I love getting feedback like that. And then so many of you are being so awesome and leaving really helpful, super encouraging reviews on iTunes. And you can just do that by going to iTunes and hit rate and review and be honest. But I mean, I I just love to hear from more of you. So we got over 150 reviews so far in the iTunes store in the US. I'd love to hear more. That also helps us get the podcast out to other leaders. It magically interfaces with the algorithm that iTunes uses. And, uh, you know, when you leave ratings and reviews and you share episodes, uh, it just helps get it in front of other leaders. So thanks for that. So super excited for all of you too, who are coming to the Orange Conference tickets by the time you hear this may be gone. It's just theorangeconference.com slash senior leader. We're going to be hanging out on that track. So if you're heading to Atlanta, we'll get a chance to interact as well. And then there's all kinds of dialogue on the blog as well. Just go to kerrynewhoff.com where you will find the show notes to this episode. Anything you hear Carl and I talk about that you want further information on, just go to kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 30. And so with all that, so glad you're here. Here's Carl. 
Well, I'm so excited today to have Carl Vaders with me, who uh, you might know from NewSmallChurch.com. He is a self-proclaimed small church pastor, and Carl, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here with you, Carrie. Hey, Carl, give us just a, a little catch-up on sort of your time in ministry. You're the pastor of a local church, and a couple of years ago, you wrote a book called The Grasshopper Myth, and uh, you started a blog called, New, well, it's really a website, NewSmallChurch.com, um, to really speak to small church pastors. And today, we're going to talk about sort of the uh, tension that sometimes exists between large church and small church, and where that comes from, and what to do about it. So give us a little bit about, about your story, just the thumbnail version. Sure, yeah. I was actually uh, born into a pastor's family. I'm a third-generation pastor. My uh, grandfather pastored in Newfoundland all of his life. I was born in Newfoundland. Canada. So you're talking you to go. a Newfie today for all our Canadian friends. There you friends. go. I didn't know you were Canadian. Yeah. Now in California. Yeah. Uh, raised in Toronto. That's where my dad pastored there. Then we moved to Ca- uh, California and been here for about the last 40 years. And um, started pastoring just about 30 years ago. Uh, well, almost 35 years ago now. And um, went to a couple, you know, the associate pastor and then a couple smaller churches and then landed where I am now, which is in Fountain Valley, just seven miles south of Disneyland. And Mm -hmm. I've been here now for 22 years. And when I came, there were 35 very discouraged people in the church who were just about ready to close the church. They'd been through five pastors in 10 years. Sure. And um, over the first couple of years, we just kind of got the place healthy and strong again, grew to about 75. Over the next six or seven years, grew to close to 200. So I'd been there about 10 to 12 years when we were running close to 200. And we have a very tiny facility, less than an acre of land. The building, if you've got 120 chairs in there, it's a full building. And land is cheap where you are, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's part of the challenge, part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So, um, you know, we we got to, uh, actually, um, we're not far from, you know, Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. And right. in the early 90s, I'd been here a few years, and Purpose Driven Church came out. So I picked it up, I read it through, and then I went out and immediately bought a copy for every single staff member and board member and required them to read it. Uh, we had a leadership retreat. And, did that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're not the only one. At the time. Yeah, I was just at a seminary when that came out, and same deal. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, they, they walked in looking like they'd been hit with the same train that ran me down after reading that book. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and said, okay, we can't do the church the way we've done it before. Um, We got to to change some things. And we did. And we implemented a lot of the church growth strategies, uh, particularly as outlined by Rick. And they worked. Uh, And that that was, we did that when we were about 100. And next few years, again, got close to 200. We got to the point where even with two services, we were hitting that 80% threshold. Sure. And, um, you know, the rule is, you know, you really won't grow past 80% of the size of your building. You got until you, it's the, the fish in the tank. You got to get a bigger tank to, for the fish to grow. So yeah. we, we did a lot of searching around. We live in a very tightly populated area with not a lot of available space, but we found a school and we met in that school for just about two years. It was about double the size of our building. And we grew to almost double the size in about a year and a half. We went from, uh, wow. just over 200, almost 400. And then we started to shrink faster than we were growing. Like it started dropping like a stone. Um, I know how big we got, but I don't know how small we got because it's fun counting when you're growing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so depressing to see the numbers when it's not moving in that direction. And it wasn't just static. It was dropping so fast. I just couldn't bear to look at the numbers anymore. And then we lost the school and couldn't find somewhere else to meet. We ended up back in this tiny little church 
And with so many people going, oh, it's so nice to be back in our little church, or the worst phrase, in a real church. And I wanted to punch people in the nose every time they said, we're finally back in a mm. real church. Oh, like yeah. the building has anything to do with the reality we're, of the church. We're moving into a real church this year after being portable for seven years. Oh, and yeah, I understand that dynamic. Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll finally come and see you now that you're in a real church. There, it's like, <laughs> far as I know, we've been a real church for seven years. Where were you? I know. We really do connect mm-hmm. ourselves to those buildings. So anyway, I went yeah. through a real time of soul search and struggle for the next couple of years, uh, you know, got mad at the people, got mad at the building, got mad at myself. And I got to admit it. I got mad at God. It, 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 sure. it felt like, Hey, I, I followed the rules here. I did what everybody said to do for church growth. We got to this point, the thing all, all collapsed and we were barely a hundred people at one point. Again, I don't know the exact oh, numbers cause we really did stop counting. But when you've only got a hundred and a hundred people in the room, you know how many people are in the room. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not thinking there's a thousand by mistake, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you, you you can guess that one within ten pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Carl, if if I can just ask you a question in midstream, do you know to this day? Because I mean, sometimes growth is mysterious, and sometimes plateauing is mysterious. And you know, there wasn't a scandal. There wasn't like do you, when you look back on that, you're you're. Is the diagnosis clear even these years later? Yeah, it, it has. Be, it took a while. It's only been the last uh, yeah. three or four years, and because and this happened almost ten years ago. Um, sure. That that it, and and there are two primary factors. Um, okay. One was we, the the people were we, we had to tear down our sanctuary on Sunday, set it up in the school, get all the audio going, get all the chairs set up, get everything going, services over, tear it all down, bring it back to our church and reset it back up in our church. Cause in our church building, which we still owned, we were doing our youth. We were doing our kids. We were running our preschool. Right. We we're doing all the midweek events. So we had, and we only had one audio system. It was a small church and that was all we could afford. And mm-hmm. we discovered that what happened was with everybody so helpful and volunteering and pitching in the people who were the regulars, who would have been our, who should have been our social glue for the new people. As soon as the service is over, they're packing stuff up. Yes. Yep. So the that's new true. people were standing around with nothing to do and just left. And you'd only do that for so long before you just go, I'm just not connecting here. And, and that's my mistake. You know, sure. administratively, I should have seen that. I should have anticipated it. I should have seen it when it was happening, but I missed it. There was so much else going on administratively. The growth was happening at such a pace that I just missed that. My mistake, my bad. I missed it. But the biggest thing I think that that I've come to discover is um, the best time of my week when we were growing, the best two times of my week, one were the services themselves, and two were getting the numbers on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. The rest of my time, I was miserable and didn't know it because the numbers were were up. The, the, The fun of the numbers disguised the misery of my soul. And my, I was miserable in my soul and spirit because I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not an administration guy. And I was spending 95% of my ministry hours doing things I hate, doing fundraising, trying to find a new building, arguing with city hall, uh, putting committees together to try to figure out how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. Um, I did everything I was supposed to do. We, I moved from shepherd to rancher. Sure. Right? Uh, which I'm ha- familiar with which, that which term. Ha- that comes from yeah. how to group, how to break church uh, growth barriers by Carl George and Warren Bird. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Very important book. Very. And if you're going to be over 200, you absolutely have to make that shift. You do. It has to happen. I did it willingly and I did it correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was miserable in it because I'm not gifted in that. I my ministry is more hands-on with congregation members. That's just where I find my fulfillment. That's what I do best. 
So when I, I I told my congregation the other day, every time I have to put a number in a box, a piece of my soul dies. (laughs) And I was Mm. putting numbers in boxes all the time. That's just my shorthand for administrative work. Sure. So, and, and that, so, and I, so I was miserable doing all of that and a miserable pastor is not appealing to people. (laughs) Yeah. New or existing. Exactly. And, and they couldn't quite put their finger on it either. Cause again, on Sunday morning, I was having a great time. There's people everywhere, but it was, I, I was, I was uh, trying to feed people out of, uh, an emptying well of my own soul. I really appreciate your transparency on that, Carl. Thank you. I mean, it takes a lot of humility to be able to say, Hey, you know what? This is where I dropped the ball. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, and yeah, reality is reality. I, I, yeah. I, I just kind of like acknowledge you. you can't move ahead if you don't acknowledge the reality of things. So anyway, that's, so that, that I think is what happened. And so we ended up, you know, back in the little church again. And, uh, I went through a real crisis of identity and, and so on. Um, actually at one point walked away from the church for 40 days, just said, I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore. Told my wow. leadership how I was feeling and where I was. Um, my denomination has an 800 number on the back of our clergy card to call for emergencies. And I called them and I, and, and I, I said, I, I got some real problem. I need some counseling. And first thing he did was ask me a series of 15 questions that included everything from, are you sleeping with other women? Are you sleeping with other men? Are you gambling? Are you watching pornography? Are you drinking too much? Are you doing drugs? Have you stolen from the church? This whole list of horrible things. And I answered no to all of them. Sure. And then at the end, he said, have you lied to me? Have you told me the truth? I said, I've told you the truth. <laughs> and there's this pause. And he goes, why are you calling me? <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. And I said, <laughs> I said, quite frankly, I'm calling you because I haven't done any of those things. But right now I'm in such bad shape. A couple of them sound kind of cool and they shouldn't. Uh, but he said, if you really are telling me the truth, this won't take long. You just need to find somebody who can really walk you through some things and sort out what's going on. So I did. And I walked away from the church for 40 days. I said, I can't do this. I can't keep pastoring like this. I've got to get away. And the reason I did 40 days was because I couldn't find an 80 in the Bible. Because <laughs> <laughs> that looked more appealing. That's didn't all, it? Yeah, I needed more time than that, but I couldn't find a bigger number than 40 anywhere. I, I knew they'd give me 40 because it sounds holy, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I walked away for 40 days, did some really intensive counseling with a guy who's, who's a, a professional, um, you know, licensed counselor, but also used to be a pastor. And he really helped me with a lot of things. And at about third or fourth session, after I'd just been griping and griping at him, he finally said, Carl, it sounds to me like you need to redefine success. And I wanted to punch him in the nose because I thought what he meant was, Okay, you've been trying to reach 100, but you can only reach 80. So let's lower the bar to 80 and jump over that and call that success. And there's not a strand of my DNA that will allow me to settle for less. I, I, because I, there's, there's an achiever in you. There's a, there's a more thing inside you. There's this type A, you know, first child, you know, drive, driven whatever in me that I, I can't do that. And he said, no, I'm not talking about lowering the bar. He said, what I'm saying is success. You've been looking at success in numbers and success has to be found somewhere else. Success in the kingdom of God is not about numbers. And you, ha- and I said, well, then what is it about? He says, I just told you, you have to figure that out for yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Real, you know, That's a good counsel. Yeah. Hard yeah. talk. And I needed it. And by the end of the 40 days, after a few more sessions, it was like, okay, I'm in the same place, but I'm now turned in a different direction. And over the next two to three years, I really was able to regain health. About a year later, um, I found myself in the staff meeting and we had regained some of the numbers. We were getting stronger again. And I started talking, okay, we got to get the numbers up. We got to figure out how to do this, how to do this. And I stopped myself mid-sentence and went, ah, I 
can't go back to that mindset again. It's going to mm. kill me again. And I, I just out of nowhere, this phrase blurted out of my face. We've got to stop thinking like a big church. Because at the time, the phrase was, you got to think like a big church. And it still is in a lot of places today. And yep. my thinking behind the phrase, we got to stop thinking like a big church, I then said, we're not a big church. We're a small church. We are now at least. So let's try to figure out what does a healthy small church look like? And let's do small awesome. And if that leads to growth, it leads to growth. If we end up busting through the 200 barrier again, the next time we'll be busting through 200 with a healthy church and a healthy pastor. The last time we busted through 200, we weren't a, I wasn't a healthy pastor, and so we weren't a healthy church. So it was right to not keep going, because if, if I had succeeded in growth at that point, I'd be pastoring an unhealthy church of 800 to 1,000 a day, maybe who knows what the numbers might be. Right. But I'd still be unhealthy, the church would be unhealthy, and I'd probably be the next name in the newspaper for some scandal, for some sin, for some meltdown that I had. You would have done something on that list. I would have done something on that list. And I wouldn't have gone mm -hmm. to counseling until I was caught. Right, right. And, and, and you know, thank God, and, and I'm sure you're extremely thankful that you had the ability to call the number before any of that Absolutely. stuff happened. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, wow. I, it, it, it is it's the best call I ever made in my, yeah. in my life. And um, so anyway, out of that came, um, we've got to stop trying to figure out how to do ministry in this church because our church isn't big enough to do all the ministry God's called us to do. We've got to figure out how to do ministry from this church. Oh, wow. That's good. That's really good. So stop doing ministry in this church and try to figure out how to do ministry from this church. Yeah. And that's been our mindset ever since. And so um, our, our inside the church Sunday morning numbers are back up now to about 200. That's our average Sunday morning. That's great. And um, at, again, if I was in my old mindset, I'd be desperately searching for something else. Um, but a, a lot of now, now what we do is we try to look for, again, how to grow outside the church. So we've got internship programs. We've got training of ministers that we send out. We've got subsidiary ministries where we minister to kids on three nights of the week where we have 80 to 100 kids on most of those nights. Wow. Um, and, you know, some of them come to Sunday morning, some don't. But basically, here's the other thing that, that I think a lot of what's happening in smaller churches today, particularly if they're healthy and innovative and strong and forward reaching is, uh, I think Ed Stetzer and a couple others have done research on this. The average church attender doesn't t attend as often anymore. Very true. We're having that conversation right now at our church and in several other churches I'm connected yeah. with. And yep. in Southern Cal, we've been dealing with that for a decade. <laughs> That's right. You're like, oh, you guys are waking up now? Yeah, Come on. Yeah. What? Yeah, stuff just yeah. happens here first. I, and I'm not saying yeah. that in any way to be cool or whatever. No. That's not the point at all. It just does. Stuff happens in California earlier than it happens elsewhere. We know that we have this reputation being fruits and nuts out here. We hear the yeah. talk. We get it. But it's not like churches in California are doing new, different, weird things because we're trying to be weird. It's because right. we're dealing with problems earlier than most other places deal with them. And there's nobody out ahead of us to show us how to do it right. Well, and being an expatriate Canadian and growing up in Toronto, I mean, I often say that when I speak, particularly in the Bible Belt, um, I think we're the canary in the coal mine. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons I identify with California culture so much. I've been there a number of times and love California. Is It, it kind of reminds me of home, just a lot warmer and with a lot more sun. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. you know, in terms of the culture, there's not a lot of difference between California, which tends to lean a little and, and, and to put labels on it. And I know labels can be dangerous but a little more postmodern, mm -hmm. more post-Christian, yeah. and very much uh, 
ahead of the curve culturally from the rest of America, a little bit like Europe yeah. and uh, certainly like Canada. Yeah. And not necessarily ahead as in better, just ahead, no, 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 ahead no. as in early. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. That's not, that's not saying it's the way to go. Um, there's a part of me that wishes it wasn't so, yeah, you know, too. But, and you and I have been in leadership long enough and I'm sure a lot of listeners have been in leadership long enough to see that shift before our eyes, where now if you run into somebody in the grocery store who hasn't attended church for six months, they haven't necessarily left. Exactly. They're telling you how awesome your church is and how much they love it. And yeah, we haven't been there since like, uh, mm-hmm. uh Christmas, but we love the church, man. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, okay. and, and in some of the reasons aren't necessarily even that they've gotten lazy or don't want church anymore. You've now got both parents working. And in California now, not only are both parents working, but at least one of them probably has two jobs. Right. And they're working yeah. on the weekends and they got his, hers and ours kids. So there are different places in different weekends. So life has just changed. So the, the average person has gone from nine out of 10 Sundays to two out of three Sundays. And that's your very, very consistent attender. So we've got 200 in the seats, but we've probably got 400 maybe or more who consider us our home church for Sunday mornings. And if you throw the youth and kids events in and other things, yesterday we were at Fellowship of Christian Athletes at our high school. A half of their leadership team are youth from our church. And there were 150 kids probably in the room at the high school having pizza and hearing about Jesus during their lunch hour at a public American school. So that's all happening. So you've got influence, but you can't necessarily measure that on a Sunday. Yeah. Exactly. I would say right now, I can't, I can't, and I wouldn't, and it would be, it would be uh, unfair and incorrect, for instance, for me to put the 150 kids from Fellowship of Christian Athletes at this, at the school in our church numbers, because they weren't in our church, but they were being ministered to by our church. Our church sponsors every pizza that's been bought for Fellowship of Christian Athletes since it started two years ago. Our church stepped up and said, we'll buy all your pizza. See, that's great. And that's that's an interesting paradigm shift from in your church to from your yep. church, which I think is going to help a lot more church leaders than just leaders in California or Canada. That That's for sure. You know, and I would say, too, as we've been crunching the math, um, we grew last year in our attendance by 2%. And I hate admitting that. I'm like, you know, I'm an A-type. It's like, uh, 20. Put a zero behind yeah, there. You'll feel better you about yourself. Sleep better at night. Um, but actually, our database, and we keep a pretty lean database, grew by 10%. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, yep. You know, we went from roughly, <laughs> I will do numbers because I mean, this is what our podcast is about today, sure. but we went from about 2000 people who call our church home to 2200 yep. and our attendance needle barely nudged. Yep. And we keep a really clean list and we are, you know, you're off if you're not there for a while, not giving, not contributing because we don't want to spam you and and we just keep a clean list. But it's just the weirdest thing. And so everybody is coming to grips with that. And I think everyone's going to have to deal with that, that paradigm shift. Yeah. So why, Carl, do you think? that there tends to be a tension. And you and I talked about this before we started recording, but you write a blog, I write a blog and, you know, we're trying to have a civil dialogue today and Mm -hmm. I think doing a great job about, you know, big church, small church, but gosh, in the comments, sometimes it gets downright nasty. And um, there's a lot of um, polarized opinion about, um, you know, small church is the only way, or we hate all mega churches or, Hey, you have to be a big church. And if small churches are unfaithful, where do you think that comes yeah, from? Yeah. Well, the subtitle of my, of the grasshopper myth is big churches, small churches, and the small thinking that divides us, hmm. uh, because to address exactly that issue, um, where, where it comes from, well, it actually, it comes from the, the actual title, the grasshopper myth 
I think is where the whole thing starts. Uh, um, the, the title comes from the, the story in Numbers 13 where the spies go into the land, they come back, and 10 of them give a bad report about the promised land. And they yeah. say there were giants in the land, and then they say we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So the reason I titled my book The Grasshopper Myth is to write up front, first words you will read are, it's what I see in the mirror is the problem. It's not somebody else's fault. It's who I see in the mirror. And uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is credited with saying, I can't find the actual source, but she's the only name attached to it. Mm. She's credited with saying, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Mm. That's very true. So, and you do a great job of owning that. You say, you know, I felt like a failure, but that was nobody else's fault other than right, mine. Absolutely. That was about me. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't about Rick Warren no. down the road. That wasn't about Andy Stanley, Bill Hybels, Perry Noble. That's that's me looking in the mirror, right. which I think is incredibly healthy from a, a character standpoint, but also a leadership standpoint. Yeah, well, if you don't own it, you can't change it. If it's somebody else's mm. fault, what can I do about it? Yeah, that's very true. Right? So I had to recognize my role in it, but I think also that feeling then gets reinforced when the language is so constant, when the language and the attention is always towards bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, as an example, once I kind of finally got myself to a point of health and said, okay, we're going to be a healthy, strong, small church. I started looking for resources about how to do that and found nada. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was telling me how to bust through 200, but nobody was telling me how to be healthy under 200. And the handful of books I did find on small churches, most of them were how to keep Grandma Gladys in the third row happy by turning the music down. Yeah. And that's impossible, by the way. Yeah. That, that's a short book. Exactly. She'll never be happy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and as I said earlier, there's not a strand of my DNA that will allow me to settle for in that. In fact, I, on my... On my website, I've got a rule, no little white chapels allowed. Okay, what do you mean by that? What, what is, I mean what is, is well, anytime you've ever seen an article about small church, the, the uh, attached picture is always of a little white chapel. It's true. It's the go-to image. Google small church, it'll be thousands of pictures of little white chapels. Yeah. But the little white chapel has become shorthand for quaint and backwards and traditional and quiet and ineffective. and ineffective. Yeah. And if now, mm. if you're listening and your church is meeting in a little white chapel, I'm not I, on Monday, I was literally in a little white chapel talking to other small church pastors. So I got nothing against your building, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's, mm -hmm. it's the, it's the shorthand that that often means it's a symbol for something sure. that I don't want to, uh, perpetuate. Well, and in the same way, I mean, a mega church, f for the most part in many circles has, a, or at least in some circles, has a lot of negative stereotypes about it. And Absolutely. When you, when you show the picture of, you know, the 12 campuses or the 600,000 square foot building, or, you know, I'm exaggerating, but people are kind of like, oh yeah, I would never go to a mega church yeah, and blah, blah, blah. Well, yep, that was, yep. back, back to the whole kind of back and forth between mega and mm -hmm. small. One of the first posts that I wrote on New Small Church when I started was, hi, I'm Carl and I'm not a mega church basher. Yeah. Because right off the top, I started getting comments on, yeah, finally somebody going after those nasty mega churches. They're, they're big because they're shallow because they're going after people with itching ears and this kind of a thing. And I'm just like, no, no. Yeah. When 3,000 to 30,000 people gather in one place to hear about Jesus, how is that not anything but great? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. stop this. Most of it is just plain jealousy. 
Yeah. You know what? And thank you for calling out the character issue in that, because we've all felt that, haven't we? Absolutely. We've been jealous of the guy down the road, somebody in our seminary class or someone who started at the same time we did. And we play the game where it's kind of like, well, they got bigger than I did faster. Or I got bigger than they did faster. And like, what is that? Yeah, I don't, well, It's hilarious because when you hear, you see a pastor or maybe on Facebook or whatever and go, oh, these big churches, you can't become big today unless you water down the gospel because nobody wants to hear straightforward, hard hitting gospel anymore. And then the next post they do is how they're hoping their church will grow next year. I'm going, well, wait a minute, but you just said that can't happen in this culture unless you water down the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I agree with Rick Warren. The reason big, the reason most big churches are big isn't because they're unfriendly. Nobody wants to go to an unfriendly church. Most of them got big because they're friendly. They're welcoming. They're doing something that people actually like. Now, are mm-hmm. there big churches out there that are unhealthy? Sure. There's some big out-and-out cults out there, for goodness sake. Oh, yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. So big- And there's some small cults, too. Oh, and there are some small yeah. cults and a whole bunch of unhealthy small churches who are staying small because of their ill health. Yes. That's there, too. You, again, you can't deny reality. Mm-hmm. But but neither size, either bigness or smallness, is not enough evidence to make a decision about the health of the church. Right. That's a really good principle. Size is not the determiner of health, right? right? Just because you're big doesn't mean you're healthy. And just because you're small doesn't mean you're healthy. Right. Or, or unhealthy different. on either side. Or unhealthy yeah. on either side. Yeah. Flip it. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Um, let's talk about the comparison game a little bit. I mean, is that part of the, the heart of the unhealth around the dialogue? Or do you see other factors as well? I think that's the prime contributing fact. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's a comparison game. It's um, and, and Jesus, you know, talked about it so much, you know, not comparing yourself with others. And we, if we have a healthy relationship with the Lord, if we know what we're called to do and we know we're in the place God has called us, that should be enough. Uh, again, from my story, let me put the blame on me. I, I got to the point where I was seeing a grasshopper in the mirror and then living in Orange County, it's really easy to look around the corner and see uh, everything from Saddleback Church to Mariner's Church to Church on the Way, where Jack Hayford was at the time, mm-hmm. to um, Crystal Cathedral's even closer yeah. than Saddleback is. It is. I stayed right around the to corner. To the original from Calvary Chapel that I can almost throw a stone and hit from my building, mm-hmm. you know, and to look around and go, you know, here's the thing. A, a lot of times when you hear small churches about the only quote unquote excuse that you're allowed to use while a church is small is people go, well, if you're in a tiny little town, of course, you're not going to have a big church. I live in Orange County, California. <laughs> this is where people come to plant mega churches. Yeah. You know, Hillsong Church yeah. from Australia talks about their LA church. They don't have an LA church. They're in Orange County. They're around the yeah. corner from me. This is mm-hmm. where people come to plant mega churches. There's something in the soil here. You drop a Bible and a <laughs> mega church springs up. So if you really want to feel bad about yourself, there you go. So here I mm-hmm. am. And right around the corner from me, Rick Warren is blowing everything up and I'm following all of Rick Warren's rules. And it didn't happen for me. Wah, 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 woe is me. Wow. And, but so, so that was why it was like, okay, what's wrong with me then? Cause I got none of these other excuses. 
Well, and I think I think that's part of the comparison game as well is excuses, right? Oh. People make all kinds of excuses like, well, the reason you can't grow a big church is because you've got 18 mega churches around the corner or you're in a small town or nobody goes to church or people used to go to church, but they don't anymore. Or travel teams have gotten, you know, travel sports have taken all the families away. And I mean, do you see that too in the dialogue? Oh, and, and I, Just yesterday, somebody reposted yeah. one of your posts, I think from last May, about stop putting these excuses out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I reread yeah. it again and went, yeah, Carrie did it right again. Good for you, Carrie. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I, I, if, if we're really doing what God has called us to do, then each church should exist for their own reason. Obviously mm. we have the gospel in common, but yeah. if I'm just reduplicating what Saddleback is doing or what the small church down the street is doing, then one of us is unnecessary. Right. right. We, we should be, there should be something about what I'm doing that reaches a different group of people than that other church is doing, which means I can have a church in the shadow of big Calvary chapel down the street from us. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm, I pray for their success and God's blessing on them as much as I pray for my success and God's blessing on me. And there's, there's, there's more than enough people to be reached where I live and that the, the, the water's warm, you know, jump in the pool. Welcome. I welcome Hillsong planting their new church here. I see that's such a good perspective and you don't hear a lot of leaders talk about that. I welcome Hillsong planting their new church here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're great people doing great work. Yeah. We sing their songs. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> we, yes, we all do. do. So what makes you able to say that? Like, what makes you able with a church of 200? I mean, why do you not roll your eyes and just go, oh, yet another mega church on the corner? Uh, because Andy Stanley couldn't do my job. Okay. Tell, tell me more about that. Why couldn't Andy do your I, job? And by the way, I really couldn't do his. <laughs> <laughs> it's mutual, right? It's mutual. Yeah, that's not a slam. Yeah, if, that's if, like, if, on either side, it's not a slam. If Andy came mm-hmm. to my church, there's no question within a year or two years, he'd have two, 3,000 people. They'd be in a different building. It'd be an awesome church, but it wouldn't be this church anymore, right? That's a good point. And you know what? That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. And that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing that he would tear down. And by tear down, I mean, just, you know, re- reimagine it and, and be a different church. There are some people whose calling from God is to go into existing churches and to help turn them around. Years ago, when I started doing pastoring and some of my uh, people I went to school with and so on were starting their own churches and they were just booming and they were getting big churches. And at the time there was a a phrase that they would use um, about it's better to plant a church than to go to an existing one because it's easier to have a baby than to raise the dead. Mm -hmm. And here I am going to small church after small church that exists and trying to turn them around. And I had a couple of my friends go, you know, you could, why, why aren't you planning a church? It's easier to have a baby than to raise the dead. And my response was from gone with the wind because I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. (laughs) That's great. You know what? My wife and I were hit with that. Uh, Just when we were starting out in ministry, I had a church planter who was well-known say to us, because we were in three little small mainline churches trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. resurrect. And uh, he said, hey, easier to have a baby than to raise the dead. And as we were driving home or flying home, actually, uh, kind of looked at each other and said, we're Christians. I I actually think Jesus specializes in raising the dead. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he's pretty good at that. Yeah. 
And you get, again, when you look at the, and I'm, I, listen, I'm all for church plants. I've planted a church. I've also Absolutely. transitioned to church, but like you look at the ratio, just do the math. I mean, my goodness, what is it? 90% of churches are existing churches that need to be transitioned. They also own all the land as Andy has pointed out. Yeah. And we need a, a revitalization of those existing churches and we need new church yeah. plants. It's both and oh, not yeah. either or. Everything about the ministry that I do is both and. No question. About okay. That. And see, that's so helpful. I wonder what would happen if the dialogue and debate, you know, online, but also in real life shifted and we took a both and mentality and celebrated small churches and celebrated large churches. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially when you look at the numbers. I mean, you know, 90% of the churches in the world are under 200. Uh, 80% of them are under 100. And it, it, when was the last time anybody said that stat without following it with, we have to fix this? Years ago, I heard the stat, and in my head, the next question that I had was, what if that's not a problem? And I just started bouncing that what if around my head. What if it's not a problem? What if when Jesus said, I will build my church, what he had in mind wasn't a, a world that only was filled with mega churches and big cathedrals? What if what he had in mind was a whole bunch of everything, but particularly all tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these little guerrilla-style outpost way stations of faith tucked into every single corner of the globe. When you look at the numbers, there's about 2 billion Christians in the world, and that's the low end of, of those numbers. Mm-hmm. And half of them attend a church around under about 300 or so. The numbers are fuzzy. Um, be- yeah. One, because pastors self-report and none of us have ever lied about our numbers. No, no, no. <laughs> no, we sincerely believe they're bigger than they are. It, we, we really that do. That is actually true. <laughs> <laughs> that probably is. And Excellent. of course, small churches are vastly underreported. We just don't know right. a, whole, a whole bunch of them. But somewhere around 300, maybe 250 is about the median point, which means half, one billion people choose to worship Jesus in smaller churches. Wow. Right? So, and yet almost everything that we have is aimed toward, it comes from and is aimed towards the bigger churches in, in the bigger billion, not the smaller billion. Smaller billion, there's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Yeah, the smaller billion. <laughs> but you, you point that out and you say a lot of the resources that are out there are actually aimed at how to grow your church and how to handle a big church right. as opposed to what to do in the small church. Because and I think writing you know, have done that. That's their perspective. So yeah. it's understandable that that's the perspective they write from. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can see that. And maybe maybe one of the lessons in this is, and I haven't heard anyone say this. Maybe you've said this, but you know, it's it's not the idea that one size fits all because I think that can be a problem. But I think where comparison and excuses come into it's like my size fits all. Oh yeah. So yeah. because you know I'm a small church. Every church that isn't like me, or every church that isn't a house church, or every church that isn't a mid sized church, yeah. like we've we've arrived. And nobody else has. Yeah. And I think that that neglects the diversity of the body of Christ. It, it, it flies in the face of like 1 Corinthians 12, which I think is as much about churches and congregations as it is about people. I completely agree. Um, and, and so we need small churches and we probably need a few healthy health house churches and we probably need some big churches. So yeah. what are some things, uh, let, let's go here in the time we've got left. What are some things that small churches can do? And, and let's, let's get a few, because mm-hmm. we've been talking now for over half an hour, but just define the different sizes because you do that in oh, your book or on yeah. your blog or something. And then, and then what are some things, next question after that is, what are some things that a small church can do that like a larger church just can't? Sure. Um, well, you've, you've got, these are fairly universal. The numbers may change by a little bit depending sure. on who you talk to. But basically under 50, you're talking really a family-style church. 
Mm-hmm. And when you talk small church, that's typically 200 or under. The 200 barrier happens anywhere from 150 to 300. Right. But they call it the 200 barrier. So, so, so my church is on the high end of small. Right. And then from the 200 to about 500, you've got kind of a small midsize. From 500 to 1,000, you're beginning to get big. Uh, 100 to 1,000 to 2,000, you're big. And over 2,000 is, is universally called megachurch. So yep. I'm in my ministry, I'm dealing with churches of 200 or under or under the 200 barrier, which might mean 300 or under. Depending yeah. On and, and, and again, what Warren Bird and Carl George showed is that often churches will start at 150, go to 200, 300, but then they'll balloon back. They'll 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 scale back down mm-hmm. um, and then they'll bump up and go down. Yeah. So, yeah. I, OK, those those are good. So you're really predominantly talking about churches of 200 or less. Yeah. That's my thing. Okay, so what can a small church like that do that a bigger church or a large church or mega church just can't? Yeah. Uh, one of the things is we can fit in anywhere. Um, you, you take a look around the globe. A, a lot. Here's another reason why we have some of this big church, small church, back and forth arguing is because of our Western mindset. Um, okay. If you go to a lot of places in the world, uh, places, for instance, where the church is illegal, you can't, you've got to fly under the radar. The church has to be small there. Yeah. You can't have a mega church yeah. in, in persecuted yeah. countries. In, in other places, because of the culture, I've got friends who are in Japan and they talked about a, a, a denomination that raised tons of money to build a huge church on the outskirts of a massively populated Japanese city. And nobody ever went because in Japan, once you become a Christian, you are, that is uh, 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 considered a shame often to the rest of the family. And then to go to the ostentatious big church on the hill is like slapping your family in the face. Wow. So, so people who come out of the Japanese, you know, ancient ancestor religions to become a Christian have to practice their faith in very subtle ways within the Japanese culture in order for it to be considered valid and in order for them to have any credibility with the rest of their culture. Right. If they're going to reach the culture, you got to, yeah. got to some extent yeah. play the game. So, they, ha- so mm-hmm. they have to expand small congregations rather than build big ones. Okay. So sometimes it's, it's not only yeah. an inherent advantage, it's the only way to do it. Yeah. So what are some other things um, in North America or the Western world where um, small churches can do stuff that bigger churches can't? Yeah. Uh, small churches can be quirky. Okay. What do you mean by that? Um, once you hit a certain size, especially once you get to mega church size, there are certain systems that just have to be put in place to manage that many people and to manage those size of buildings, to manage that size of budget. And mm-hmm. you just have to. There's no, there's no options. And there's not an awful lot of variance in the way they're uh, administered because of that. And so there's kind of a, a, a leveling of the way things are done. And, and it's not that there's not great variety in mega churches. There is. But you, you can't really do quirky <laughs> when you got 2,500 people in the room. Yeah. Um, but in, you go anywhere in the world, particularly in bigger cities, you're going to find subpopulations within those cities that have, you know, you're going to have a goth culture. You're going to have a cowboy culture. You're going to have a biker culture. You're going to have a hippie culture, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And there are people who are called to reach those very small cultures within a particular area. And the church is going to be, the word I, I like to use is just quirky. Um, and it's going to be quirky. It's going to be different. It's not going to be traditional. I heard recently about a church in San, downtown San Francisco that meets in a bread baking company. And their church service is to get together, get their hands in the dough. And while they're ba- breaking bread, li- literally baking bread, mm-hmm. and then breaking bread. bread together, they're talking about scripture as they do that. 
Oh, wow. Right. And, that's and, a, that, so you could think of that as niche or niche ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yep. and, and most of the people in that church are there because they like that kind of close, intimate thing. And probably the biggest thing that small churches can do that big churches can't do is small churches can minister to people who need to worship Jesus in an intimate environment. Okay. Say more about that. Like, well, what what kinds of people prefer small over big, or need have that need to worship in an intimate environment? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I w- I can categorize who that would be, but let me put it this way: there are some people who uh, go to mega churches because when they walk in and they see this many people in the room and the and the music and the lights and the sound is big, it draws them into a place where they go, "I'm a part of something big and wonderful and great," and it lifts their spirit and it pulls them forward. There are mm-hmm. other people who walk into a big room and it just terrifies them. They're yep. scared in crowds. They don't like it. It's just sociologically. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. uncomfortable for them. And their heart is drawn to Jesus and they will invite their friends to a place where there's intimacy, where it's smaller, where it's uh, just not as, as big or loud or crowded. Although we've got a small church that's loud and crowded too. Um, yeah. Right. So, so there are just so many different types of people in the world. You can have a greater variety of churches among smaller churches than you can have above, uh, among bigger churches. So yeah. that's one of the things I think that smaller churches... Okay, and I think, I think the other group that um, you know, research is emerging on millennials, we'll just call them under 30s uh, for convenience sake, that, mm-hmm. that there may actually be a bias towards small over large in a lot of millennials. Um, yeah, there's some reporting on that, and then there's some kickback that, no, that's not exactly accurate. You can't treat all millennials the same, and I get that. But mm-hmm. the boomers never kicked back when we said boomers are like this. They just went, you yeah, know, that's who we are. Uh, <laughs> but part of the actual joy of the millennials is that they are not as um, singular in the way they approach things. We have, you know, in the young people in our church, the millennials in our church, they have so many different musical styles they like, so many different clothing tastes that they like, so many different hobbies that they like. When you and I were growing up, it, for the most part, whatever school you were in, it was one kind of music is what all the cool kids listen to. Mm-hmm. One kind of clothes is what they wear. One kind of thinking that they have. And now it's just all over the board. And in a lot right. of ways, that's very healthy. It means they're actually, in, in a lot of cases, making independent decisions about the way they live their lives and the tastes that they have. You know, Now, when that comes down to core issues and fundamental uh, you know, issues of integrity and of truth, and yeah. then saying, well, then pick whatever you want, then we've got a problem. That becomes problematic. Yeah, yeah, because there are core truths that just simply are true. But when we're talking style, the fact that they're open up to anything is just the way it is now. So smaller churches allow for that diversity to to soar, and to, and you can have some fun with that. Uh, I've got a friend in San Diego whose church has never been more than 120 people, and he's pastored uh, there uh, almost the 22 years that uh, just about the 22 years that I've pastored where I am. But in the last five years, they've planted six other campuses. They're about to plant two others in this coming uh, coming year, and of the seven campuses they ne- they now have, there's about 500 people who attend those seven campuses. Mm-hmm. So every one of them is a small church. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. Yeah, and their mm-hmm. niche. This one is in that community, and so they so it's Spanish speaking because they're in a Spanish. Uh, community. And this one over here has more of a young hipster vibe because they're in downtown San Diego where all of the craft breweries are. And that's where all the hipsters live. And right. right? So because they are quirky, because they're niche, that you, you're probably going to limit the growth of that particular congregation. 
But this now network of congregations is having booming growth. And in fact, he has just recently resigned as the lead pastor of his uh, local church because he's so busy overseeing the, the six and now about to grow to uh, eight congregations that are, that are a part of his church. And, and their design is to find a neighborhood, see the, the maybe overlooked people in that neighborhood that aren't being ministered to by a traditional church style and just go in and turn the quirky up and bring people in who really are, are, are ministered to by that. Uh, and each campus, by the way, has their own pastor, has their own worship team, but they share administration. They share the same copy machine in the office. So they, they, it's a wonderful new template that he's worked out. So they recognize kind of the efficiencies of big while at the same time the uh, benefits of small. Both Which and. I do think yeah. you're going to, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so Carl, we have just raced through the time. I can't yeah, believe how have. quickly the time has gone. It's been great. Um, just very quickly, I mean, you've talked already about that sense of personal failure, which I think impacts, honestly, that's not a small church pastor issue. That's a, a person issue, a yeah. people issue. And, and I think large church pastors struggle with comparison and insecurity, just like everybody else does. So apart from that and making excuses, what are some of the unique challenges that you think small church pastors face? Yeah, I think we're looking at the next two decades I've got bad news and I've got good news. <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. The bad news is my church is an endangered species. And by my church, I mean a small church that owns a building and has a full-time pastor in a large populated area. Um, 15 years ago, after our church got to the point where we were healthy, we had half the attendance we have today. We had half the health that we have today, but we could pay our bills easier than we can today. Uh, expenses have gone up, percent per capita tithing has gone down, even among healthy church-going people. Uh, part of our growth comes from millennials, college students and high school students. We have tons of right. them. Sunday morning, you come to second service, the front two rows sitting right in front of me, and the front row I can literally kick with my foot as I stand on stage is all teenagers and youth leaders. Wow. So we have a real reach, but they cost us money. <laughs> yes, they're an investment, right? Yeah, they, they they can't give back at the level that yeah. uh, a 35 or 55-year-old could. Exactly. We're investing, yep. and they're not the future of the church. They are the present of our church. But as far yes. as paying the bills, that's going to happen in the future. They're our farm team for bill paying. So my church that's doing those things is being innovative and is in a big city where the prices are going up, 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 up. Over the next 10 to 20 years, I think you're going to see a lot of churches, if, we, if the small church doesn't adapt to uh, being, maybe being okay with not having a building, having a pastor who's bivocational, uh, training your farm team, that is your young people, to come up and be the next people to take over. Uh, it, right now, if you've got a small church and it's paying the bills well because everybody's a senior, um, yeah, bad, bad news, folks, everybody years. dies and mm -hmm. their, their deaths will come sooner because of their age, just, you know, yeah. welcome to the real world again. And I think if you're not preparing in the next decade to two decades, we're going to see a lot of those churches just disappearing because we're not adapting to the new realities quickly enough. And as, as we just, I mean, you and I've probably seen it so many times where a church just pays out of its savings and then it pays out of its debt mm -hmm. until finally they got to sell the building and the church collapses because they didn't make the adaptations to new realities at the, at the pace that they needed to. 
And I think the other reality, too, with small churches is I think for a healthy church and a growing church and a church that's making an impact, that's going to be a real struggle. But Lyle Schaller back in the day used to say the small, tiny, like 40 people churches, you can't kill them. They're like cats. Yes. Cats, pardon me, they have nine lives. That may also have a shelf life as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's nothing maybe... If you got nine people and they're all over 70, I don't want to disparage that, but I've, I've been in a lot of churches like that. Future isn't very bright, but it only costs $10,000 a year to run the church, yeah, right? So exactly. they can hobble together and do that. But again, you know, the, the expiry date on the tag is coming yeah. up soon. Well, that's exactly why 15 years ago when our church was half the size and half the health it was today, we paid our bills easier because two thirds of the, of the room was older. And it was right. old, and they were old school church, and it wasn't even age. It was that they were traditionally church people, so they were they they gave their tithes, and they didn't exp- and they didn't need to receive much back. But when you're bringing millennials in, it costs money to serve them, and even if they're willing, and even if they are tithing, they're just not making the money yet. No, I mean they're minimum wage, they're McDonald's wages, yeah. and like you're not, yeah, yeah. they're not going to fund your next capital campaign. So that's the first half. That's the that's the bad news. Okay. <laughs> the good, What's the good news? The good news is if we recognize that and start adapting now, um, and we do things like networking churches together and training up our young students to recognize that they're likely to pastor a small church for a good portion of their ministry. Um, it's, it's what, it's one of what I call the undeniable realities of pastoral ministry. 99% of pastors will pastor a small church for at least some time in their ministry. And most of you will pastor a small church for most of your ministry. That's just the way the numbers are. 90% of the churches in the world are under 200. Do the math folks. Mm-hmm. You're so, going to end up there. Yeah. At some no, point. I was yeah, convinced I was only going to do that for a while. And I was going to be the mega church pastor soon. Didn't work out that way for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have now become to the point where, okay, ministry from the church, not just in the church, we can still contribute to the growth of the kingdom of God, even if I'm not necessarily putting a lot more butts in the seats that, that, that listen to me every Sunday morning. So if we adapt to that, if we see the present reality, if we're willing to make the changes that need to be made, I think there is a large and growing audience for, and I don't like the word audience, there's a large and growing group of people who are hungry for the teachings of Christ. I think megachurches will continue to grow and continue to thrive. I hope and pray that as churches like Saddleback with Rick Warren, as they transition in the next decade or two to new leadership, I pray fervently that those transitions go well, because yes. the loss of those churches would be tragic. Mm-hmm. But, well said. but we've watched the Crystal Cathedral do it not well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mars I, Hill had the and, problems. And yeah, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. you know, and before anybody jumps on it and goes, well, that's what happens when you got a mega church. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, not, it's not no, inevitable. It, it is not even close to inevitable. It's ridiculous to put that on mega church. That is a very specific mm-hmm. situation with a very specific and charismatic person who uh, I think Mark Driscoll himself would probably admit that it was built too much on him and not enough on systems and methods that could be repeated by others. Well, and at the end of the day, I mean, he was in his early to mid 40s. You're not planning exactly. on having it unravel in the middle of its peak. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I've written on that and others have. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes. But um, Carl, man. I feel like we could do two hours here today. This is fantastic. Thank you. So there are a lot of smaller church pastors who are listening who are probably came into this podcast discouraged. I think you've probably given them reason to be encouraged. But if someone was really discouraged, uh, if you had one piece of advice to give them, what, what, what would it be? 
Um, fix what needs fixing. Keep looking at things that you may not be doing right and fix them. I do that on a constant basis. Nothing's mm -hmm. ever perfect. Everything needs to be dealing with. But if you're looking around and going, my church is basically, basically healthy. Why isn't it growing? Stop that sentence at the first half and pause. My church is basically healthy. If your church is basically healthy, you're not broken. You're normal. 90% uh, of the churches in the world are under, under 200. Um, and I think a lot of time the problem we have is we compare this small church to this mega church, and that's not a fair comparison. Here's how I like to look at it. Imagine you've got a city where you've got a mega church of 5,000 people. Also in that church, you're going to have 5,000 people who meet in 100 healthy small churches. Which one is more valuable to the kingdom of God? 5,000 people meeting in one church under one pastor or 5,000 people meeting in 100 churches under 100 different pastors? I think the kingdom of God needs both. And as long as they're healthy, uh, that I think is something we need to encourage, we need to resource, and we need to bless. So if you're one of those pastors of a church in that 5,000, and you've got uh, 99 other pastors to make up that 5,000 people, realize you are a part of 1 billion people around the world who worship Jesus in small churches. And it's not in most cases because they don't have other options. It's because there's something really special about the intimacy of a smaller church that they want. When a person walks into the front door of your church, they know that the front door of your church isn't the wardrobe door to the magical land of Narnia. They do not expect when they open your front door for it all of a sudden to be huge on the inside. And you're going to have laser light show during your worship <laughs> team. And you're going to have multiple levels of child care for every conceivable need. They knew it was small before they walked in and they walked in anyway. So do small awesome. Hmm. That's a good word. And you know what? I love the both and paradigm that we've talked about. So Carl, I know people are going to want to connect with you uh, after this podcast. We'll have everything in the show notes, but uh, just tell us about where to get your book and uh, where to find you. Sure. I blog at newsmallchurch.com. And I blog three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the easiest place to buy the book, The Grasshopper Myth, is there. It's the cheapest okay. way to buy it. You can also buy it on Amazon, but it'll cost you more because I got to give a big right. chunk back to Amazon. Um, and you can get it on Kindle. So if you're a Kindle reader, you can get it for $9.99 on Amazon as well. So Excellent. it's in print, it's on Kindle and newsmallchurch.com. You can check that out too. Carl, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's good to be with you, Carrie. Well, that was a great conversation. I, j I just had more and more fun <laughs> the longer we talked. And Carl, just thanks so much for your transparency. Thanks for what you're doing at newsmallchurch.com as well. I hope you go over to his blog. I hope you get his book, The Grasshopper Myth. It's awesome. And uh, if you are just discovering Carl's blog for the first time and you lead a small church or even a larger church, I, I think you're going to find it super helpful. So make sure you head on over to his website and give him some support and some love. And Carl, thanks so much for being uh, on the podcast. I know we're going to have a lot of conversations in the future as well. If you caught something that you want more on, just go to the show notes there at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 30, and you can pick that up there. Hey, next time when we come back, I'm really looking forward to the next conversation because uh, I'm going to be talking with Daniel Decker. And Daniel is somebody who is the guy behind uh, a lot of great authors. And he's going to talk all about your online platform. So we're looking forward to that in episode 31. Also going to be hearing from uh, uh, some other great people in future episodes. Tom Rayner, Mark Batterson is going to be on. So just the best way to make sure you don't miss anything, just subscribe. Just go to that magic subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to us on, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You will never miss an episode. It will be delivered to your inbox for free 
every Tuesday. So I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really do hope that this time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.